When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Med- Medical plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. So generally, for most people, as they grow older, we all gain about half to a kilo every year. And that creep, so to speak, has been occurring for decades now. So as we get older, we can expect that all to happen to all of us. And it's that weight creep that also has an impact on your experience of living with osteoarthritis, both in terms of pain, the function, your likelihood of having surgery related to your osteoarthritis, and ultimately many other outcomes related to the disease. There are good physiologic reasons as to why that weight creep occurs and why it's hard to keep weight that you've lost off. And we're going to dig into that a little bit today, as well as the reasons for that weight creep. And try to also provide you some suggestions as to ways that you might prevent that additional weight from accruing occurring. So today we're joined by Professor Flavia Cicatini and Flavia is a rheumatologist and currently the head of the musculoskeletal unit at Monash University and head of rheumatology at Alfred Health. Hello Flavia, welcome to the show. Thanks very much David. Oh, it's a great pleasure to have you along. Good chance to have a chat, but primarily in the the listener's interest, but also um, to some extent mine to get to know you a little bit better. Can you share with the listeners a little bit more about your background and what a typical day looks like? Yeah, so I'm a rheumatologist and I also do research. So my day isn't typical because I have lots of different things I do. So I have some days that I do clinical work. So I might see patients in our patients. I do ward service that changes things because you're looking after patients in the hospital. But then often, you know, a lot of the time is looking after students, either medical students or master public health students doing teaching. I do research. I supervise projects. So it's quite fun in that way that no one day is exactly the same. Do you enjoy the variety? Yes. I I like the variety. I think that... Each of the jobs is different. And interestingly, although they all sound like a hodgepodge, they actually feed on each other. Yeah, I mean, I think particularly that clinical interface with the research, I think we we learn a lot from that clinical interaction with our patients. Yep, I agree. Yeah. yeah. Now, Flavia, when you're not at work, uh, what do you enjoy doing? No, so I really enjoy gardening. And I like 
I like bright colored flowers. You wouldn't believe it at all that I might like that. So I like roses and geraniums and it's all a bit chaotic. I don't like things that are very orderly. And I also like spending time with people. So we, um, my family spend a lot of time. We have meals often with people and so with family and friends. So that that's social connectedness. And I like exercising, particularly things like walking. And so I've got, most of us are a bit time poor. As I'm getting older, I have a little bit more time, but all those things give me a lot of pleasure. Wonderful, wonderful. And if you had to describe yourself in five words, what would they be? I'm generally positive. I'm reasonably fair. I tend to worry about things but get things done. And I like I'm, I like colour. <laughs> so for anybody who doesn't know Flavia, um, my image of you is always someone who's got colour, as, dist as distinct from a lot of people who go around to the conferences in the the blacks, the greys, you you always distinguish yourself by having plenty of colour. Um, so, uh, When you wrote the question about how to describe myself, I was going to say colourful, but that implies a colourful personality. But I thought I would just say I like colour. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic, fantastic. All right, now um, for the listeners, and we'll include a link to this in the show notes, The this conversation has been prompted by an article that Flavia and colleagues have just had published. Um, and again, that link will be in the show notes. If you want to dig a little bit further, please do so. But it's really about this concept of creep in weight and what we can do about it. But before we get into that, I'm just wondering if you could reinforce a little bit about the benefits of weight loss and weight maintenance for osteoarthritis. Yeah. So obesity is probably one of the biggest reversible risk factor for osteoarthritis. So that is fact, fact, fact. No one argues with that. And in fact, consumers already know it. It's not a state secret. When we've spoken to patients in the clinics, even at the places like the Alfred Public Clinics and so on, everybody actually knows that. And most people have tried to lose weight they know that their obesity is contributing to their problems. So that is fact. Now, we know that losing weight is difficult. We know that if you lose weight, you get a bit of an improvement in your joint pain. One of the things that has bothered me for a long time is that we see patients in our clinic we don't have a lot of treatments to offer when we say lose weight and exercise. And the person goes off and they come back and you and I are old enough that we've been in the clinic for long enough that we're seeing the same people over many years. You develop a nice relationship. They come back 10 years later, they've gained five kilos. Not only have they not lost weight, they've gained it. Now, that has always bothered me as a missed opportunity. Now, also, I have been fascinated by the idea that repeatedly beautiful, beautiful randomized trials have shown really poor, if little effect of weight loss on knee pain and so on. Recently, meta-analyses, big studies that have, have um, combined studies have showed that, yes, losing weight's a good idea, and we all agree it's a fantastic idea, but the effects are not very big. 
and you probably need to lose something like seven and a half percent of your body weight to have much effect on knee pain itself. And so just because weight loss doesn't have a fantastic effect on osteoarthritis doesn't mean obesity is not a problem. It is a problem. But the problem is that by the time we start suggesting that people lose weight and so on, people will be in their 40s or 50s. They come to see us. They've already got osteoarthritis. And so there's already been damage and other problems happen. So it's probably too little too late. I was struck a number of years ago, we did a study where we just followed people and I and we found that losing weight had a bit of an effect and not that was all very exciting, but gaining weight seemed to have quite a big effect. And, and what we often forget is that when you stand on your knee, you load four times your weight. So, for example, if, if I'm sitting around and I'm hey, carrying whatever weight I do, if I gain another two kilos, I'm going to be loading an extra eight through that joint. So it's probably not surprising that as we gain weight, pain gets worse. Anyway, and so to, to put a, to simply say that, is obesity important? Yes. Is it a bad thing? But the WHO, the World Health Organization, reminds us that to tackle the problem of obesity, we should be preventing weight gain. We tr should be trying to keep our weight and we should be losing weight. But we focus on the weight loss. And so just to, to, to recap, is obesity a problem? Yes. Should we all be losing weight and becoming trim, taut, and terrific? Yes. Is that going to happen? No, because people try. But on the other hand, you know, what's fascinating, if you turn around, you suddenly look at all the evidence. Isn't that someone goes to sleep one day and the next day they've gained 10 kilos? There's this really slow creep. So there are times in people's lives where we put on more weight. So there's the, the college 15 or something. So young kids go to college and suddenly put on a lot of weight. Women after they have a baby often gain some weight and so on. So there are some tipping points in our life. But over and above, you know, the evidence in the US where people are big, is that they gain about half to one kilo a year. In Australia, it's the same thing. And yet we've sort of almost shut our eyes to it that we're so busy telling everybody to lose weight that we've forgotten that the same person in 10 years is going to come back having gained weight. And then we're going to say, oh, Mrs. Jones, you need to lose weight. But if they hadn't gained the five, they wouldn't have to be losing it. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a great description. And I guess just to reinforce that, obviously, Overweight and obesity has a big impact on osteoarthritis, both the development of it, also your risk of joint replacement, the experience of pain, and weight loss can can play an important role. And I guess as Flavia is saying, on average, a community gains about half to one kilo a year and has been presumably doing so for, for, for decades. Why do people continue to gain weight and why, why is weight maintenance difficult? Look, it's really, really fascinating. So I'm going to take a step back and ask, answer a question you haven't asked me, which follows on from that. 
So for example, if you have somebody who needs to lose five or six kilos or seven kilos, everybody trundles along. And, and this is not what we know as doctors. This is what we see with family and friends. Everybody's able to lose. If you lose your first two or three kilos and you're as happy as a pig in mud, okay? But then all of a sudden you can't lose it anymore. And we all now know that you can't just try and lose weight gradually you if you really want to lose weight you've got to go to these very low energy diets so you need to put a massive amount of work and then you can lose weight okay and that is because the minute we start to lose weight all of a sudden all these mechanisms say you're starving you're starving you're going to die because you're starving and there are all these hormonal mechanisms that suddenly halt the progress so we all know that. So then everybody loses weight and everybody is as happy as anything because you look trim, taut and terrific, having put a massive amount of effort to lose weight. But then it's there's been this assumption that the reason people gain weight is because everybody goes back to their usual lives and, you know, and, and are not as... But it was interesting because some of the obesity people thought to themselves, but this can't be the case. Anybody who loses a massive amount of weight are determined, have worked really hard. Everybody wants to be slim. And what happens is that as soon as you lose weight, there's a whole series of hormones that change so that the aim of your body is to get you back to your set point. So if, if you weigh 80 kilos and lose 10 kilos, your body systems say your set point is 80. If you lose 10, you're starving, bad thing. Now, that's why people very quickly start to regain weight. And this was shown a number of years ago by Joseph Poeta, where they looked at the hormonal changes. But what's fascinating is these hormone changes don't change for a year. Six years later, your body's still trying to get you back to the original weight. So to lose weight is hard, but to keep it off is even harder and needs a concerted effort for many, many years. Now we know that that and we know that with the new weight loss drugs, the same happens. You stop it, you regain the weight quite quickly. But what's fascinating is that our body set points, the body weight set points are aimed at protecting the weight we've, our current weight. So if, for example, you gain five kilos, in a year or so, your set point is your weight five kilo. So for some reason, our evolutionary mechanisms follow our set point up. And there's evidence that, for example, people that have lost weight for years with gastric operations and that, you take the staples away, they return to the set point. So it's interesting. There's no evidence anything resets us slower. So that's how why it's so hard for one, to lose weight, but two, to keep it off, because you've got to keep working for years to keep it off. But secondly, what's interesting is no one knows what the mechanism for that slight overshoot is. So, for example, to maintain your weight, you know, on average, 
is possible. So if you had a choice to either let things go and gain five kilos and then come back down, that is harder to do than stop that five kilogram drift. But that five kilogram drift needs people to be very aware that one, you're not going to let that happen and to be conscious about it and do things like just be aware. It's about a 4% of your calorie intake that you have to modify. And, and Flavia, do we have any data in osteoarthritis as to the merits and benefits of maintaining a weight as opposed to letting the creep of a kilo a year happen? Well, there's not a lot of data. And, and I can just tell you about two studies we did. So, you know, it's always better if it comes from lots of different people. But our group have been quite key, interested in this idea. So it's all very well to say, oh, don't gain the weight and all the rest. And we know that has to be good for you and it makes sense. But there's two studies. So there was a, there was a study of a low-intensity lifestyle program done in rural women called Help Her. So it was a, a clinical trial. And women basically from the age of 18 to 55 or so were, were just in this program aimed to prevent weight gain. It was done by some of our colleagues. In that community population, we added knee pain questionnaires. And these weren't people with osteoarthritis, but it's surprising how many people in minding their own business in the community have some knee pain. And what we found is that the people about a third of the women reported having some knee pain, enough that you scored, yes, I've got some. And we found that the group that were in the arm that didn't gain weight had, a, had almost halving of their knee pain. Now, this was from a low level. Now, you could say, oh, that's not osteoarthritis. No, but what we do know is that anybody who has knee pain it starts a circle, that vicious circle, you know, you've got a bit of knee pain, it's better one day, you, you get a bit of muscle wasting, you stumble along, hurt the knee. So, so knee pain itself, which might be like one out of 10, almost unmeasurable, it does tend to feed on a pathway. So that's one piece of evidence. The, uh, so that so really just this, and these weren't people select, these were just community-based women minding their own business in a rural community. So I thought that was quite interesting. The second piece of evidence is a paper that we published in, in your journal, David, Osteoarthritis and Cartilage. So what we did is in Melbourne, there's a big study of 40,000 people that was started, the Melbourne Collaborative Cohort Study. And it's a community-based population. They're interested in cancer, cardiovascular disease run by the Anti-Cancer Council. That population is very well characterized, 40,000 people. It was possible to find out what people's weight was, self-reported weight at the age of 18. Now, it was done by really super-duper epidemiologists that had validated that this was correct, you know, that it was a pretty good es estimate based on diabetes and other stuff. So what we did is we 
um, you can throw data into a computer and rather than saying you're heavy or not, you can develop trajectories or pattern of weight gain. And so in this population of 40,000 people, we looked at people that were what their weight was at 18 and what their weight was at 85. The computer spat out different patterns of weight, et cetera. Not surprisingly, the people that were chubby when they were younger, chubby when they were older, had more knee replacements, you know, 10 times as many as the people that were slim at the beginning and slim later. So you say, oh, isn't that surprising? And that's we get very excited about that and, and we focus on those chubbies. But they rep only represented like 10% of the whole population. In fact, most of the joint replacements were happening in the people we don't even notice. The people who are all right, weight, young, good weight at young and end up with a BMI of 30, 32, 33. That's where all the joint replacements end up. And so we asked a different question and we said, well, Let's forget about keeping the whole community trim, taut and terrific. Let's just make everybody go down one category. So if you were, you know, ended up with a BMI that was a bit heavy, you go down to your next category down, how many joint replacements can we prevent? And in fact, 30% of joint replacements in Australia could be prevented if we just got people not to get as heavy as they ended up with which ended up something like eight to 12 kilograms from the age and of course most of the action is in the not the super chubbies it's in the people that have just uh, you know category one obesity you know B bmi yeah. of under 35 and interesting it's a group which as a community we don't really target yeah no it's a really good point and just i uh, just for viewpoint of clarification the bmi that flavia is referring to is just body mass index and typically the way we categorize people and that's based on kilograms per meter squared but the way we usually would categorize someone as obese is if their body mass index is above 30 so flavia you've probably already touched upon it with talking about those two studies a little bit but how do we prevent the weight creep how do we stop or slow that from occurring look so just to put this in perspective there are multiple, multiple clinical trials that have shown it is possible to do, and it actually requires small, very simple lifestyle interventions. So that's what I would like to just point out, that there is evidence it's possible to do, and there's also, and it's been um, and included in meta-analyses and that, so combining the data. So I'd like to say that it's possible to do. I think for me, the key is not how we do it. It's to let people know so consumers have a choice. So, so for example, at the Alfred where I work, for many, many, many years now, I and all the people I've trained with and chat to and all the rest we see people with knee osteoarthritis and we say you're carrying a bit of extra weight. It would be good for you to take it off because it's also good for cardiovascular risk for your general health. So we, we still say that. But what I and most of the people I've worked with now also say to people, but just know that, yes, you should lose weight, but 
you need to be aware that if you don't take some action, you're going to gain weight. Now, I'm not going to tell anybody how they're going to do it or how they're not going to do it. All I'm simply saying is when you say that to patients, their eyes light up and they light up because for the first time, someone has suggested something they might be able to do. Now, I hate to say, it sounds ridiculous, but that is why all the young staff at the Alfred do that, not because I suggested it, but because it's really interesting that nobody has ever said it. So when you say, what should we do? There are lots and lots and lots of things we people can do. But the first thing is people need to be aware that it is an important, useful goal before we even start. Yeah. Because the beauty, I think, of that is that people can then, if, it, if we pushed it harder, it gives people an achievable goal and it involves a personalized approach. So you're not saying go away and eat a whole lot of lettuce leaves. You're really starting to say, look, be aware. You need to take action. You know, if you go out on a weekend and have a big, you know, lots of dinners and stuff, you wake up on Monday morning and you're not hungry, don't eat. You know, because your body systems will try and get you back to that sort of weight. You know, yeah. if you go and have dinner, choose a smaller plate and then have a slightly smaller serve, not of healthy food, of what everybody else is having, but just a bit less. Then wait before you have a second serve or alternatively go for a walk. So, for example... On average, the weight creep is calculated to be about seven calories per day, which translates to two squares of Cadbury's chocolate a week or 15 minutes of exercise. So obviously someone's not going to suddenly eat two Cadbury squares less, but it just gives you an idea that the magnitude of the change is small. And if people are aware of it, then they can potentially choose, you know, like just be careful, you know, just think about what you're reading and why, weigh yeah. yourself and just do a little bit more walking. Yeah, no, it's, it's a great description and hopefully helps people to be more mindful and make those subtle changes that make a big difference longer term. Flavio, is there any other comments you wanted to make or any resources that you would like to point people towards that might put this in, in a context that they can also digest, pardon the use of that word? Um, well, what I can do, David, is we actually, just as part of a project, because this is something that's been quite close to my heart in terms of just the messaging maybe I can send you a couple of videos just YouTube videos Fantastic. that we made which really just about you know preventing weight gain and just some ideas and preventing weight gain can reduce joint pain yeah that'd be great and that way we can include them in the show notes and people can dig into that resource now as is my pension I haven't managed my time particularly well but wondering if you could just um, humor me with two questions so why do you do 
what you do, Flavia? What What's your primary motivation? Well, I, I suppose, and I, I think a lot of people are like this, I've always wanted to make a, a difference and and I've always wanted to do something that might make a difference. And I suppose my ambitions weren't very high. I just wanted to do something little that might make a difference. So I think that motivates me. I think I think choosing osteoarthritis was a good one because it was, you know, there just isn't any treatment. It's a really tricky one. So, you know, I, I think that's partly the why I do what do this combination of work. Yeah, fantastic. And just in closing, is there any one piece of advice, knowledge or wisdom that you'd like to give for people out there who have osteoarthritis? Yes. Walk. So keeping walking. So if your knees sore, use a walking stick. Get out there, grab walking poles, use a walker. I think if you're able to keep active and walking, it's good for your mental health. It helps keep your muscles in good shape and it helps manage weight and so on. But I think keeping active and I think walking is a really good one with whatever aid you need to tide you over when you've got sore joints. Fantastic advice and great way to close. And Flavia, thank you so much for spending a little bit of time with us, sharing those insights, which I think are really hopefully important, but also, uh, as you suggested, achievable and hopefully motivating for people out there who have osteoarthritis. Keep up the great work and look forward to seeing you soon. Thanks, David. Bye, everyone. So we know that weight loss can have big, meaningful effects on symptoms, on your likelihood of having a joint replacement, on complications related to surgery, um, and obviously has major benefits as far as your heart health, your diabetes, and a range of other health outcomes. As importantly, though, however, and potentially somewhat neglected, is this issue of weight creep. So this is the additional weight that you gain, about half to a kilo every year, that continues to accrue over many years and over time, slowly and insidiously, makes a difference to your osteoarthritis and your experience of this illness. It can have a big impact, and there are things that you can do to slow the gradual creep and the gradual additional weight down. I'm hoping you found the content of today helpful and informative. Please, by all means, dig into the show notes to find a little bit of additional information there about ways that you might go about slowing the weight creep. By all means, please reach out to us with additional questions or suggestions you have around the show. But between now and when we next speak, Thanks for please do take care of yourself. Hunter. If you like our show and want to know more, visit www.jointaction.info. If you have any questions, you can email us at hello at jointaction.info and follow us on Twitter at jointactionorg. This podcast was hosted by David Hunter, edited by Vicky Duong, music produced by Jordan Hunter. The information posted on this podcast is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent disease. Anyone seeking medical advice should consult a health professional. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? 
Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.